it's hard to tell, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with them. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program, a big Thursday episode to you. That, again, was the President of the United States talking about Putin losing the war in iraq yeah uh apparently he did this twice yesterday oh boy uh he was both at a fundraiser and then again coming out of the white house <laughs> yesterday biden referred to ukraine as you is iraq yeah <laughs> well right. it's a stutter he yeah, also right. talked about how his, his new best friend is the prime minister of china uh before correcting himself uh and talking about that it was the prime minister of india that he was referring to i think we can really win the war in iraq if we just find a way to fund the moderate Wagner group on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to fight him over here so we don't, or over there so we don't fight him over That's here. That's right. All right, yeah. Uh, a big episode for you today. We got an old friend coming in, Neil Chatterjee. He was the chairman of the Federal Ener Energy Regulatory Commission. That's a mouthful. We just call it FERC around Washington. Uh, but he, he was in the Trump administration. Now he's out doing his own thing, but he's a barrel of laughs. Yeah. So great guy. You guys are going to love it. And you're going to get some energy, uh, discussion here on the program. We got a sponsor today, Masterworks. You'll hear for them, uh, later on in the program. And a big thank you to Megan Kelly yesterday. Fellas, didn't we have a good time with that? It was a ball. It was a ball. It was great. And it was also, uh, it got heated at moments, which I really enjoyed. I know. It was the first time we ever disagreed and I actually loved it. That was so good. I loved it because it was like a very good, sensible, thoughtful, kind of, I mean, everything with her is, but right. like it, disagreeing sensibly over things, that's great which content. Is, well, it's also, I feel like we do that a lot in our show amongst our, ourselves. And it's like, I feel like the conversation we had with Megan is the conversation oh. every conservative family yep. is having it, right now. It fits 100%. together, hand in glove. And then the final segment ending on a light note with the fashion and just poking fun at yeah. the old man a little bit. And <laughs> yeah. Just always a good time. I think for the next time we go on there, you got to wear something provocative. Like I really got a peacock? Yeah. You got to go with yellow polo. Yeah. And like, what was it, pleated khaki? If you did that, I would laugh. That would be so good. With a wife beater underneath? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, uh, we should all wear it next time we go on. Yeah. That's a great idea. Uh, okay, well, we're going to start the way we always do on Thursdays with some five stars and the voice. Okay, this first one comes from Sea Dog One, and it's titled Mind Blown. Sea uh, Dog One writes, I've been a research scientist for over 30 years. And through the course of my career, I have published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of the Sciences four times. Penis! And am currently preparing another manuscript for submission. <laughs> Throughout all these years, I never even thought to pronounce the penis acronym Incredible. the way you fellas do. <laughs> this could be the greatest reply we've ever gotten. A literal scientist. <laughs> he writes, in fact, when I first heard it mentioned on the program, it took me a while to make the connection. Thanks to you... I am now dedicated to publish all of my findings in that heralded journey. <laughs> Ruthless Variety Program doing the work for people. We're taking academia back from the left. That's exactly right. He writes, uh, you're all the best. I've learned 
and laughed so much with you. Keep up the great work, fellas. Uh, Thank you, so C-Dog much. One. That's awesome. You know, when in doubt, just make some kind of a phallic reference, and we can improve your uh, organization overnight. <laughs> uh, all right, who wants this next one, Smuggles? Absolutely. So this is from Collins426. The title is Charges. <laughs> I've listened to every episode since Smug announced the podcast on his feed. Thank you. It says, I am supporting President Bobcat in the primary. Fantastic choice. <laughs> and few episodes have made me laugh like the Charges episode, that was a good which one. is why I come hat in hand with a question. I've been invited to drink around the world at Epcot with a friend of mine. Mm. Do I tell them no because we would be subject to charges? Or is this an exception? Well, we actually delved into this a little bit, and I was unclear. I don't think we've rendered a definitive opinion on this. Epcot is an entirely separate right. entity with a separate entrance yes. that deals with food primarily from different locations around the world. I think it, I think it's an exception. As long as you aren't standing in line, if you're not standing in line with toddlers trying to get on the teacups... I think that's, you're okay. Are there are there are there exactly. kids at Epcot? It's mostly kids, kids playing. Kids right? up, but, I'm but, sure there's kids, but it's like th- that's where they. What would you think of someone who went to a build a bear? No, 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 no. But you're you're, you're charges you're, charges. You're, this is this is like this yeah. is like walking to the bar across the street from Build a Bear. Yeah, no, no, no. Because there's kids Build-A-Bear. there. There's kids all over. Have, right. have you have you been to, to Disney World with kids, Smug? Not with kids. When I was a kid. Okay. So that's why I know. Let me tell you, there there's, a there. different, there's a difference between Fantasyland and Small World and the Peter Pan ride and the bars at Epcot. They're just there's a difference. Like they they p- try to push the adults yeah. to the bars at Epcot. And then there's fireworks at night, right? And that whole thing. Our argument is that they yeah. aren't doing enough to push the adults away from the kids' rides at Fantasyland. So they yeah. have to they no, have to actually br- have somewhere to go. Yeah. In Orlando. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, this is Florida. The number of places you can grab a drink that isn't a child's theme park. <laughs> you know? Smug is dug in. I mean, so I, but I'm, I'm trying to process this because here, look, if you have to use the same entrance, if it's the same living quarters, if it's the same sort of like monorail that you have to ride with kids going to the Magic Kingdom, charges. If it's entirely right. separate, and it is away from the Magic Kingdom in terms of its entrance, then I'm more lenient here. And as I understand it, the idea behind Epcot is that you bring your kids to the Magic Kingdom during the day, and then you leave them with their aunt in the <laughs> hotel room at yeah. night, and then mom and dad can go and have a drink in Epcot. Well, if that's I, the, I think, if that's, that's, the I think that's the idea behind it. There's because, kids all over Epcot, dude. Not at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> Charges. Charges. For crying out loud, 9 o'clock at night, you get your kids at Epcot? I mean, I, I had nieces and nephews where we did something. So I was probably 16, so it's too. Oh, I was okay. too old yeah, for the Magic not, Kingdom. That's not a five-year-old. I didn't go there. Uh, but we the, the kids were there, and we went to Epcot to have dinner, and uh, 16-year-old Josh uh, may have found a beer or two. <laughs> may have. <laughs> so, so, so you're going to a place where they're serving underage kids, huh? Well, it's like a really... <laughs> Insidious kind of establishment. Well, some of us like, call it a growing up, pal. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't, uh, if you weren't equipped to find yourself a little triple sec out of the box in grandma's basement, I don't know what you were doing with your sixteen-year-old self. <laughs> That's the way we rolled. Smug. What? what? I, I, yeah, I, that, you know, I, I think that's it. I think we're. That's think, it. That, that was. That was it. No, I, I say no. Hundred percent no. No, okay. I, Collins, I mean, you're, you're, you're in Orlando. There's a million bars. Hit one right. of them. Okay. I think you try to. 
I think you try to float an alternative location if there's a particular reason to go to Epcot. I don't think it's charges. Let me just say, maybe watched a little. Yeah. Maybe watched. Yeah, you're on a watch list. You're yeah. not charged officially, <laughs> but you've entered the watch list. Investigation yeah. is yeah. open. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Duncan? It's from Will Olson from PA. I had been seeing y'all's show in my recommended feed, so I decided to check y'all you out and subscribed. You guys have filled the intellectual nostalgia gap from when I grew up carpooling in Delco Christian in PA. Yeah. Nice. A lot of the parents in our carpool played Rush for the 45-minute drive home. Anyway, I'm bad with names, but my favorite is the one you, the one of you that sounds like Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World. Huh. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Huh. I'm not a... I, I, I didn't really get into Boy Meets World, so I don't know. I think it's I'm Duncan. Topanga? Right? My guess is Duncan. Oh, Topanga. I do mm, know Topanga. You remember Topanga. I do remember Topanga. Delightful. Uh-huh. Uh, you've all made me consider Christy seriously. Hmm. As well, after your interview the other day. Well, this is the whole point: is you're going to hear from all of them. Yeah, and if they float your boat, great. I mean, you're not going to get this kind of interview with any other program. That's right. And we're not throwing thumbs on the scale like other programs. We're just letting dudes be dudes and chicks be chicks, and we're just letting it all out. Yeah, I think that's that's an, a very important point. Is we let all the Republican candidates come on and, and sing for their supper. Let the voters know. Where they stand on everything, and if your candidate hasn't been on the show yet, let them know you want them on. I have I have one more five star I'd like to uh, read here, and this oh, is, this is going to become a new pattern. No, no, this is from um, Michael Duncan, old man Dunksarunks, oh. and it says uh, Lee Wolf has done a great service to the variety program, putting in these new mic stands, which allow me to see all my friends. Oh, right. Another upgrade. Oh, it's a, it's a five-star review from our old man in-house. Yeah. Isn't this great? Yeah. It's fantastic. The Wolf has really got something going here. Wolf, can you hit your own button? I don't even yeah, know. Hit, like, hit your own hit button your, here. Hit your own button. It's a copyright song. Oh, yeah. We, we got to get like a wolf. Like a dun, dun, But if you don't get the guitar, is it even worth playing? Bow, 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 now. But yeah, no, I mean, if, you, if you're watching this on YouTube, we've got these new mic stands, which are more low profile, which allows us all to see each other a lot better. We don't have any of these huge arms all over us which I, I think is great just consistent upgrades it's consistent dude it's just a thoughtful attention to detail that we get out of wolf yeah pure you know? variety They're and also looking around how can you improve the product that's an op another opportunity to remind our listeners who only listen to the podcast subscribe on youtube every yeah. show's now up there plus extras that you can only get on youtube We've got major cities in a doom loop. Even Wall Street is trimming fat to save their bacon, but not every investment is floundering right now. One of our longtime partners is actually thriving. That's right, because Masterworks now has 13 sales to date. That's five more sales just since we talked about them in December of last year. And like before, every single sale to date has handed back a net positive return to investors. That includes recent net returns of 10, 13, and even 35%. As of June 19, Masterworks has over 740,000 users, over $750 million invested. Masterworks has so much demand that their paintings can sell out in minutes. As a result, they have a wait list. But because we're longtime partners here at Ruthless, you're getting special access. Go to masterworks.com and use promo code RUTHLESS 
That's promo code RUTHLESS at masterworks.com to join today. See important Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD. This is not investment advice. All right, let's get into the news a little bit. Uh, Yesterday, the Biden administration unbelievably uh, is out selling Bidenomics. Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, This is according to CNN. The White House is selling Bidenomics. Is anyone buying? Uh, I think we can rhetorically answer that now. But getting into the article, President Joe Biden's top economic advisors believe the worst effects of inflation are in the rearview mirror. They're increasingly confident that the economy is heading towards a soft landing, averting a recession. And a growing number of economists are beginning to agree. There's just one problem. Most Americans are convinced the economy is in bad shape and they blame the president. Enter Bidenomics. (laughs) This is what they've come up with? This is what they've come up with. I mean, I think it's Bidenomics. It's like, first of all, Bidenomics. I mean, I think part of the problem is how can he have this economic plan Bidenomics when he had no plan? And I think the biggest problem that they're facing is they're saying that, oh, top economic advisors uh, in President Biden's team believe that the worst of inflation is behind us. The top economic advisors are the ones who told us that we're not having inflation. Right. Then they're saying it's transitory. Then they're saying now actually inflation is good. Like, well, we're, co- we're coming up on the 4th of July. You remember the last 4th of July when they're like, you're saving four cents on your hot dog. Yeah. Which is just where's where's a, where's our pad on the back? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it was a lie, too, yeah, right. not to mention. Right. But this is, this is the quote that they've got. This is how they're, they're pitching this thing. Bidenomics is rooted in the simple idea that we need to grow the economy from the middle out and the bottom up. <laughs> Jesus, find me another. Not top down, mm, reads okay. the bolded section of the memo distributed by two of the president's senior advisors, Anita Dunn and Mike Donlan, earlier this week. Dunn and Donlin are messaging experts and not economists, is a telling sign that the origins of Bidenomics as partly a branding exercise. And, no and, shit. And that's amazing because like this is from CNN. If CNN right. like, this seems like messaging and not policy. <laughs> <laughs> but also, look, I mean, as someone who's uh, dabbled a toe in, ec- in economic messaging before, uh, do you really want your economic plan intrinsically linked to the president with a 32 percent approval rating yeah right that's a tough that's a tough sell i mean that's why obamacare became devastating yep is because obama's numbers were in the tank and you just throw care on the end of it and it just became emblematic of the failures of the entire obama administration well here we go they've done it again Mm -hmm. bidenomics unbelievable aids are hopeful a more concerted effort to convince the americans of their economy's strength and biden's own role in managing it will improve those, his political standing white house officials have begun preparing a more comprehensive economic messaging push for months and the decision to launch now reflects the white house's settled confidence that the economy's positive trajectory is sustainable yeah you know what i love about this and you guys know this more than i do because you're sort of the you know, comms and messaging gurus in the room. But whenever the policy isn't working and the results aren't happening, yeah, inevitably it always comes back on, we're just not getting the message out there. Oh, totally. Right? right? And well, so now it's it falls back on you, or in this case, Anita Dunn and Mike Danilin or whatever his name is. Uh, Donilon. Donilon, to, to uh, somehow, like, 
by alchemy magic like make people believe something that they know isn't you, true you get you get some of that with republicans yeah you get a lot of it with democrats because there's a totally there's, agree with this there is because among democrats there is an assumption that the press will say whatever it is that they want them to say mm -hmm. and if things aren't going right then the problem is the communications between them and the press because yeah. they're yeah. they're not flipping the right switches <laughs> And they, because, I mean, they know, they know it's just a given. So like you constantly, if you, if you're out there, you hear con complaining about a communications problem, it's usually coming from the left side. Right. This is my favorite bullet of this. Though polls show Americans broadly support elements mm. of the Biden's economic agenda, a point Dunn and Donlin made in their three point memo. A wide swath of Americans continue to widely disapprove of how he's handled the economy. 66%. I mean, again. Sounds like it's time to hit the road and talk about your success. Oh, man. That is just unbelievable. We, we just got to get him out there in front of real people where he can explain in yeah. simple terms what he's done for them. Just a, just you a, know? Just a, it's a communications problem. The press isn't saying enough good things about what you Biden's people doing. people don't get it. No. You need a catchy slogan like binomics <laughs> and, and I, I think the main problem that they're facing is just the facts are not in their favor i think you look at the the numbers which have recently come out consumers uh, we've now have the highest amount of credit card debt in in u.s history oh yeah consumers. You, you've been on this for a long time the the savings rate has hit now an all-time low any savings that individuals had accumulated uh over over covid uh, over the past couple of years, it's all basically been drained. The vast majority of Americans say they could not afford an emergency $200 cost over the course of a month. The, it, it, it's like the, the vast majority of the public is hanging on by a string because you, of the- you say that again? An, an, an emergency- $200 expense, the vast majority of Americans would not be able to afford that. Oh, Bidenomics. There, there are now- there it's was, a bumper sticker. You just look at it. It's dynamic. <laughs> People are going to love it. The bumper sticker says, hanging by a thread. <laughs> and like close to a third of Americans are behind on at least one of their bills at this point. Yeah. Bidenomics. And so, you know, you have an extremely tenuous economic situation and in significant reason because of the policies that this administration did put forward. You know, when you have inflation inflation is the best way essentially to it, the it's designed when it's being put on by the fed to drain cash out of the system right mm -hmm. that includes people's savings accounts mm -hmm. so this is an uh, you know their policy is they want the consumers the americans to feel pain Biden right because knowledge. a result of their inflation is like oh shit now we have to fix all the problems we created and and to try and message this as being a success is well it's insanity. not a problem mm -hmm. smug what you do is you get a bumper sticker That's you put right. The president's name and the nomics behind it. <laughs> hanging it's foolproof. Hanging by one thread is better than hanging by zero threads. Exactly. Yeah. 76% of Americans, according to a recent CNN poll, described this economy as in poor shape. Yeah. Now is a great time to roll out that Bidenomics, huh? Yeah. Let's just staple that to his ass as he's got a 32% <laughs> approval rating. I mean, these guys, I feel bad because Biden obviously can't do anything for himself. Right. Nothing. I mean, we we lead every show with what he's doing. Yeah, but he's getting advice like this. Well, that's the fascinating thing. All the numbers that you read, like you know, if you were like a normal person and you were looking at the state of our economy, and you were running a presidential campaign, you wouldn't be like, "I want to associate our candidate's name with this," <laughs> and be like, "This is success." Do you want to know what's going to happen? You know how, how this is going to end? Hmm. 
this will be like a three week deal, maybe by like mid mid August and certainly by Labor Day. It's just going to be guns and abortion. Guns and abortion. It's just going to be. They're going to be like you know what that fucking sucked. But guns and abortion is all we're going. I think it's going to be more than that, dude. If something happens in our economy in a major way, or we do dip into a recession, I think he will then pivot again back to these MAGA extremist four-star economy into the ditch. Like, that's what he's going to say. Yeah, 100%. With what? We he'll haven't say, done anything. Say, it's never been real, so why would that stop him now? Bidenomics was working until these House Republicans Yeah, we were so in. close. We were right there. We were going to be in a new golden age in America, and it, then these MAGA extremists stopped the, it. And the media will just pretend that's the case. Yeah. This dude's got that, such huge problems. One of my favorite parts of this story is when uh, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre was asked whether she thinks this will actually work. And she said, we're going to try, right? <laughs> Man. We're going to give it a shot. I don't know, but it's worth a shot, right? What we've done is we put the president's name in front of Nomics, and then we're going to just... It's gonna work. She, her job is literally to get up in front of a podium and put a brave face on for the administration like, every day, and she can't even be like, "Yeah, this is gonna work." <laughs> Incredible. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So we always like to talk on Thursdays about who won the week, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things that happened this week. Obviously, we got the Trump uh, audio from Iran. We have subsequent news on that. Um, we had both DeSantis and Trump in New Hampshire at the same time. You had Christie, uh, popping from zero to seven in the polls, uh, coming in third within two weeks of his announcement. Um, Vivek out doing stuff. I mean, everybody was doing stuff. The question for all of us is like, who did the most and why we think they won the week. Let's start with smash on the end. I think the clear winner this week is Vivek uh, because he finally received the affirmation he's been striving for this entire campaign. He was noticed by Donald Trump. Oh, he, uh, that's right. He in, was. In New Hampshire, President Trump was quoted saying about Vivek, he's leading most of our candidates. And you know why? Because he says Donald Trump is one of the greatest presidents in the history of our country. Are you sure he's running against me? I just, <laughs> I got to take a victory lap he's on this. He's been listening to the variety, bro. Sure Donald, Donald Trump is on my talking points. And I do love that Trump gets up there and he's like, look at this. Look at this great drawing by Vivek. You know what? I'm going to put it on the fridge. <laughs> oh, it's just The old magnet on the fridge. There's just there's nothing more infantilizing that you could experience in politics and the guy you're running against being like, he loves me. He's doing a great job. Are you sure he's running against me? <laughs> it's incredible. It's like the worst insult you could ever have. Yeah. Um I hate right. it too because he's from Cincinnati, but you know what? He won the week. Yeah, okay. All right. Duncan, what do you got? Uh I got Tim Scott. And I got Tim Scott for for one specific reason, and that is you know, the numbers we were talking about in the, oh, the last show. Oh, that's a very good, astute observation. Um, you know, I mean, there's a long tail to a lot of this stuff with the advertising. You don't see it necessarily pop immediately in the numbers. But the guy has raised a lot of money for his candidate campaign and spending that money. He's spending that money on advertising. Mm. And I have to believe in a lot of these state polls that start that's going to start to pick up. Because he has a four to one, in some cases, five to one advantage over all the candidates that are relying exclusively on their super PACs. Right. 
Right. And so, so you're seeing four five times more ads from Tim Scott with his message than you are anybody else in this race. Which tells me it's a campaign that is doing the simple blocking and tackling you have to do to raise the money necessary to win. And I it think, came in with a lot too, though. Right. Remember. Right. Look, I get it. But but that's preparation. That's that's part of the job. Yeah, it's preparation. It's part of the job. So I got to give my hat tip to him on that. I think that's a look, that's a smart pick. Smug. So I'm, I'm going to actually say two folks on this one. First, I you want can't. To, you got to say one. You got to say one. All right, then I'll I'll pick Tim Scott. Uh, I have to agree with Duncan on on the points that he made, especially on how smart it is to have campaigns spending the money when you're buying airtime. You're getting far more for your buck uh, than a super PAC. But also, uh, I've gotten word from some folks I know in York uh, that he's been having some success up there with fundraising. A lot of folks are really digging that his his message, and we're getting right to the time. You know, at the end of June is. When you're going to start getting the yep, pressure for and he's different enough. He separated himself from the crowd enough in his message that it is unique. Yeah. And if that actually hits with people, particularly in the donor community, you can see early momentum. On and that. these are like heavy hitters. Yeah. These are these are big time folks who can open up the checkbook big time, and we'll see how that goes. I do. What I really like about what he's doing is he's he's picked his own path and not allowed sort of the the static reading of poll numbers dictate what it is that he says and does yeah that i mean look it's a it's it's unique it may very well work out for him um mine was desantis and the reason it was desantis is because i think he finally settled in on a message that i think is probably the most powerful argument against trump and i mean you've heard christie do all these various things he's been most pointed but DeSantis has kind of moved around in his criticisms of Trump. Mm. In New Hampshire this week, he was basically saying, I went down to the border, and he did, and mm -hmm. he spent time at the border, and it's a disaster. And former President Trump ran in 2016 on fixing the border. He had four years to try to do it. It's worse than it's ever been. Does that sound like success? And then, you know, he keeps building blocks on that, like, you know, eventually you get to the point where this is the guy you're going to hire to dismantle this deep state. Well, he's the one guy that's gotten run over flat on his back by the deep state over the last six years. So it's kind of like going to the record of Donald Trump mm -hmm. rather than taking the media bait of just talking about the indictments or talking about the quote of the day or mm. whatever name he's calling Ron DeSantis. Or he's settled into a very concrete criticism of of trump that i think for the first time starts to have some resonance now whether he stays on it or not i don't know uh because this is the first week that he's done it but that's why i gave him the winner of the week mm. interesting yeah i like yeah. it um let's get into the trump news because okay. i think this stuff is significant obviously everybody heard the audio that came out that was listed in the indictment where he is talking to two biographers of uh mark meadows and a staffer or two in the room and seemingly to suggest uh that he is showing them you know over audio it sounds like he's showing them uh documents he shouldn't be showing them classified documents about who is really responsible for war plans uh in iran mm -hmm. because he of course had been blamed for wanting to take a significantly more aggressive step towards Iran than we ultimately did. And Milley said at one point that he had to talk him out of it. Uh, all that sounds like 
I don't know. I don't know what to make of any of that stuff. I also, there's nothing about Trump. It's like a warmonger. So I tend to believe him on that point <laughs> yeah. of view. Mm. Yeah. But I, I will say it sounded pretty bad. Um, it's a ruffling of papers. The bottom line is we don't know. Mm -hmm. it, he was intimating, if he didn't show somebody something, he's intimating that what he had rush, ruffling around was some kind of classified document given to him by the Pentagon that would constitute a response plan or an attack plan against Iran. So here's one question that I have, and I think this is a very, I think is a very important development in the story, but I don't understand uh, why he's answering questions. Like, for example, in the interview he had with SEMA for, uh, that came out just last night, where he said, oh, it's not war plans, it's just newspaper articles and golf course. He said, uh, building plans, I had plans of a golf course. Like that, that he's he's telling people that it wasn't Iran; it was a golf course plan. Like he had many but, papers, but then but then he starts talking about how it was secret, and the military gave him. You're not you're not. I mean, pin positions are usually kept pretty secret the night before a big <laughs> tournament, but they're not classified. Right? You know, a bunker, uh, like a green complex, is not classified information. Well, here's so I don't understand why he's go continues to answer these questions in such a way that puts himself in a difficult. So here's position. the thing: is so, so f this is news from cbs today the iran memo is not among the 31 records underlying charges in trump federal indictment yeah so, so it was all fake news it, it, megan talked to us a little bit about this yesterday which is they raided mar-a-lago and obtained a bunch of documents and the charges are related to the documents in that and the obstruction of justice related to holding those documents after they were requested um this conversation happened at bedminster and there was no raid at Bedminster. Mm -hmm. Consequently, they've never obtained the Iran mem memo. Mm -hmm. The government doesn't have an Iran. If this exists, which we don't know, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. This is all just like. And I think that's critical. It's table talk. It, that's the thing is this, to our knowledge, we have no record of this existing. Yet this has become the heart of the conversation that Trump is a threat to national security. This is an outrage. How could he have this Iran attack plan? Someone present it. It says right here, according to a source familiar with the matter, Trump was not charged with unlawfully holding on to the Iran-related document discussed in the recording. So if you, it's like the whole, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Show me the document. Except well, the part of the problem it's is, not is it's not part of the 37 charges yeah. that are against him. And that's what makes me... But all we're hearing about in the news is, wow, Trump, it's a disgrace. But, 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 but he, he, does these, he does these interviews with right. people, and he says yeah. these salacious he things, and it stop. makes headlines. He, and it's, uh, my point is just these, he's his own worst enemy sometimes. He is. And, and, and the only reason it's leaving the news is because he's on tape saying this stuff, right? Like, it, like I understand it's not part of the, the indictment here, but the the on audio he says so then why is this, this stuff like like donald trump is the reason why it's in the news it's so nobody's is, fault but donald so trump that the, it's in the news why is the tape released if it there's no evidence supporting well that's it. It, but this is there are a whole again, bunch of questions to make trump right no no i get your point they want to win the they want to win the case in the court of public opinion yeah of course the same way they did with russiagate of course it is so you answer the question that's not a part of the indictment what are you talking about you don't answer the question and say oh these are golf course plans well i mean the one that's, thing I, that's, he's the, his own worst enemy the same before article you're talking about ashbrook which I, I think was very interesting for one reason and one reason alone. And the, the, the title here was, it was bravado. Mm -hmm. Trump says he wasn't holding up classified documents in 2000, 2021 meeting. This is the first time for, for, for 
as undisciplined as Trump has been in this entire thing post indictment where he's talking to people and saying things he shouldn't say. And I can't believe his lawyers would allow him to do these things. I guess you can't stop him. But it's the first time I've seen Trump answer it in a lawyerly way. Like he's like, like, I think I think this is Trump at his most discreet in describing things well that's not saying a whole lot i know i i I know there there are there are quotes in here that really make his complicate his case i know i'm just saying what it seems to me is that it's it's clear to donald trump this is more real than a lot of the other things they've accused him of because at no point during russiagate did donald trump equivocate and say things in sort of half half measure things, right? Like this is the only time we've seen anything which Donald Trump was like, oh no, you know, I went too far. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that tells me that there's a little bit of a shift in his strategy. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I Well, what what hasn't happened yet is any sort of noticeable change in the polls. I mean, the guy's lead is commanding and it has been and it stayed that way. And maybe maybe it shifts a little bit here and there over time. Maybe there are big moments. You know, I would have thought an indictment might be one of them, uh, but he's he's got some staying power right now. So yeah, um, well, look, I I think, and I said this on on Fox with Brett, who did probably the best interview with Trump on this topic. He benefits a great deal from the fact that Bragg brought it, that indictment before any of the rest of this, mm-hmm. because that was such a laughable, clownish legal proceeding mm-hmm. that people from throughout the ideological perspective. We're like, why are you doing this? This yeah. is ridiculous. You're going to indict a former president on like some niche issue related to a payment we've already litigated and, and you've already thrown someone in jail. I mean, it's just like, that was absurd. So everybody sort of views any sort of indictment under the under the halo of not only that, but Russiagate, where they're just out to get him. Right. And again, when this surfaced, that the Iran document is not actually something that the that the feds have uh it it harkened back to the stories yep. of russiagate and the stories of like why is it in the indictment so that's the thing that confuses me the most about this the page three top page three of the indictment bullet one is this exchange that was the audio mm-hmm. and yet it's not listed in any of the 37 counts against him right why is it in there um, I mean, you know, I have no idea. This is just conjecture. But I think it is, it, exta- it establishes a fact pattern of Donald Trump mishandling classified material. But they is, can't prove it. Is, so what, they didn't charge. Is, what they're trying, is what they're trying to show that knowledge and the intent to hide those documents in the obstruction component of the indictment, I would think. Maybe it's to present to the external public the reason they were threatened the reason why they, they did the raid yeah. a problem and that they did the raid i don't know whatever it is i don't know but even that's tenuous because if they felt it was such a like imminent danger then they would have raided bed minister if that's where this was recorded and not mar-a-lago all I this know, is 100 percent just to try and make trump look bad they want to like set the pace of or, or like set the message out of like trump is a danger to do do do, to do national do. security look 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 i agree with you they want to make trump look bad but trump did that to himself it was in bravado. that in it the, was just like i said oh uh, my right god bat, dude it, it you, was 100 trump bravado you listen to that audio and you think it looks good for Donald Trump. Yeah. You think it looks good for Donald when Trump. When you're hanging out with friends, you'll say crazy shit. No. Right? No, I hit, I, no. Hit, I hit five holes in one yeah, today but, golfing. But what, but he's, I, say, what he's saying no. ultimately is that he was lying to the people in the room. Yeah. He was bullshitting. He was having a great time. Yeah, I mean, but that's okay. I mean, look, if that's your thing. 
Uh, we got to do one more uh, uh, quick thing about stuff in the news here. Okay. This has been undercovered as everything is undercovered. Um, but the IRS whistleblower mm. in the Hunter Biden probe says he was stopped from pursuing investigative leads into dad or the big guy. This is according to CBS <laughs> News. That's their headline. This? I actually, this is unbelievable. So IRS supervisory agent who helped oversee the investigation of Hunter Biden continues to raise questions about what he's alleged uh, was special treatment in the probe against the president's son. Uh, telling CBS News that dating back to the Trump administration, he was repeatedly prevented from taking steps he would have considered routine in other cases. Mm. So we had Grassley on mm -hmm. like a year ago where he was saying this, um, that they had this whistleblower mm -hmm. and that he was saying that he was repeatedly stopped from pursuing investigative leads. Then you had the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland saying the prosecutors had special prosecutorial just jurisdiction, could have brought charges anywhere and they could have done anything. You have testimony from people saying that the prosecutor in this case said he was limited to Delaware yeah. in his jurisdiction. Both of those things cannot be true. Mm -hmm. And now an IRS supervisory agent saying he was stopped repeatedly from pursuing what he characterized as routine mm -hmm. in other cases guys and and this underscores what i've been saying for a very long time is that this is not oh the hunter biden case where you know the left is trying to say oh well hunter biden's not the president hunter mm -hmm. i didn't vote for hunter biden this is a joe biden case yeah. mm -hmm. joe biden is clearly being shielded yes right here yes and the what we need to know is why and i know why it's because he, he he's at the heart of all of this. And I think these bureaucracies are irredeemable, whether you're looking at a place like the IRS or the DOJ and yep. some of these FBI people. Like, look, I, I, like they're going to have to be cleared out. The dead wood needs to be scraped out yep. from these institutions in this country if we want to restore trust. I mean, look, we were talking about on Megyn Kelly the other day about this. Um, you know, you're talking about like basically he was a special counsel without the title, right? Yep. Like he could do whatever he wants, but. What I thought was really interesting is that is that Jamie Comer, you know, who's leading all of this on the government um, oversight committee uh, for House Republicans, didn't want a special prosecutor in this case. And I think what he knew then is what we're finding out now mm. is that even if it did happen, it wouldn't have been fucking real in the first place because these people want to put a thumb on the scale from the very beginning. And that our only way of really getting to the truth is is a Congress, a House Republican majority, empowered to have subpoena power and investigate this on their own. That we cannot trust these unelected bureaucracies to do the real leg legwork because they won't do it. We've seen it time and time again. Yeah, yep. and it's been going on for years. I mean, remember the Obama administration when the IRS went after these small businesses yeah. who were Lois Lerner. the Tea Party? Yeah, Bingham. that was outrageous. So it is, it's insidious inside of these organizations. You're exactly right. You have to have the oversight authority but it's not limited to the bureaucracies. We have seen in the mainstream media, you, we talked about this before the show, NBC put whistleblower in in scare quotes. And the yeah. New York Times did too. It's outrageous. This this guy, here's this guy. I mean, like he's showing more bravery than any any like two reporters that I've seen in either of those. So apps. just 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 to, to pause that because this is a really important point. Yep. They put the word whistleblower, which by the way we've passed federal legislation designating what a whistleblower 
is and is not. And a whistleblower is someone within an agency or an organization that is protected by law from for providing real facts mm -hmm. about something that they know that they could be punished mm -hmm. by their employer for disclosing. Yeah, like it's, not, it's not a debatable thing. It's, it's not, not. It's not something that you put in quotes like some people would characterize this person as a whistleblower, other would say, what? What would they say? He's not a whistleblower? And it's, it has a well, definition. I, I, you know what? A Democrat, a, a DNC press release might put whistleblower in right. scare quotes, but it news organizations never used to do so, that. They're see, so it's hard let, me give you, let me give you an example. I just searched New York Times, who does the quote whistleblower mm -hmm. thing. Um, remember the Facebook whistleblower that we talked a lot about? Mm -hmm. it? Yep. The first four things are headlines and stories with whistleblower no quotes. Yeah. Chuck, so Chuck Ross right? on Twitter did a great job. He pointed out like 50 instances where the New York Times, if it was against Trump, says, oh, this whistleblower did this, zero quotes. They're yeah. so But partisan. in this instance, they're putting whistleblower <laughs> to insinuate that like, oh, this so-called whistleblower. Do you remember Vindeman? Yeah. Oh. New York Times, whistleblower. No quotes. Yeah. No quotes. Uh, Kavanaugh, whistleblower. Unreal. No quotes. Oh, I'm shocked. Weird. <laughs> That's a strange standard. I, I wonder why half the country doesn't believe a single word they write. Bingo. Yeah. You know, it's it is it is no mystery. It is no mystery. They have. I, you guys are going to give me shit for saying this. They have a lot of very talented people who work over there, and none of them are allowed to actually do their jobs the way that they should be done because the culture of these newsrooms is so fucking left wing that they can't even see straight. It's partisan. It's Part, just it, it is partisan. partisan. It is partisan. They're campaign operatives, is what they are. Right. If you can throw quotes over whistleblower in this context, right. but not in Kavanaugh's. Not in Kavanaugh. Right, right. Where is where is where is the seventy the sixty year old editor who just like somebody brings that to him and he just calls bullshit? Where, where is that person? Where is that guy? They're all gone. They gutted him. They all got chased out. I mean, it, it. Let me put a bow on the Hunter Biden thing. I think that this is a big problem, a very big problem for this administration. And every, you know, cynics and critics are going to say like, well, there's no way they're ever going to prosecute. They may not prosecute. Whatever. Jamie Comer's going to get to the bottom of this. Chuck Grassley's going to get to the bottom of this. The stuff like that WhatsApp message that came out where he's sitting there with the big guy yeah. trying to extort a foreign national <laughs> yeah. out of their money. Like, there's only one of two things that it can be. Either he is extorting a foreign operative under false pretenses of his dad doing something officially to hurt him, or the big guy's in business with him. Mm. There's only two things that can be happening there. And then if you set that up against the backdrop of the president of the United States inviting Hunter to a state dinner yep. with the prime minister of India, a guy yeah. who just pled guilty to tax fraud and federal gun charges, and with a WhatsApp message that sees that he's trying to extort foreign leaders for his own bank account using his dad's name, and which guys and five million arrived days later. You don't have to like this is not being no. particularly partisan or particularly like there's no conspiratorial aspect to it. That combination of things cannot happen. Yeah, it cannot happen. And it almost doesn't matter if the big guys in business with him or not. The fact is, is that he's perpetuating mm. by allowing this guy to stay stick around. He's basically saying this stuff doesn't matter as if he's not on audio tape saying that he's withheld Ukraine funding to fire a prosecutor who is investigating the board that his son sits on. Mm -hmm. He's on tape. Like, just, I mean, look, I'm not an FBI investigator, 
But these are a lot of facts out there. Mm-hmm. They're all sitting in one spot. They have a hell of a problem. Any fair-minded person, I don't care if you're a partisan Democrat, will say that that is a big, big, big issue. Mm-hmm. you got to figure out that piece of it. I think Comer and those guys, as much as they've been maligned in the mainstream press about chasing red herrings and everything else, they're getting to it. It doesn't seem like a red herring here. Not at all. Not at all. A very big deal. So, fellas, super gonorrhea is back. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. Well, Democrats are in charge once again. (laughs) We've talked about this. And, uh, I mean, I think we went back, like, OG with this, right? Was it? I think it was the first year we were recording that this first, like, showed up. As a thing, back when we had like a our, our our formulation for what the show actually was, always included some kind of a horny segment. It, it was basically just like blackout. Those early episodes, folks. <laughs> yeah, if if you want to go back and get super entertained, that that those are the things. Uh, but we haven't lost our our thread line here, mm-hmm. and we cover the news mm-hmm. as one does. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Archimax.com this time. I'm not sure if Archimax is anything like the DLBG. GNYUZ, which is like some Romanian click farm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And you know what, what's funny about this is McDaniel might have a Google alert for super gonorrhea. He, he absolutely does. <laughs> he might. Like, all these segments, anytime we, you know, we get so much response, people are like, that's fucking insane. Because apparently it's like super resistant to like treatment. If also. he does, I just hope he doesn't click each of the links. Oh. <laughs> I sincerely hope he's Do Holmes, Google image search it. Holmes, I tried to click on the link to Archimax.com and I got a privacy error from Google that your connection is not private. Oh my God, I got it too. That yeah. good. Yeah. Connection is not private. Yeah. You can't even get this stuff unless you're McDaniel. Yeah. So it's like a Romanian click farm again. <laughs> yeah. Here we are again. Yeah, you gotta you gotta download the Tor browser and go to the dark web to find the links that McDaniel puts in our document. <laughs> do, you, do you think McDaniel is like an investor in Super Gonorrhea? I don't know. <laughs> so I, he so he might be. So the news here is that the gonorrhea shot gets FDA fast track as resistant cases multiply. Because that's the thing. The reason it's called super gonorrhea is because there is essentially no treatment. It's like it's like gonorrhea, but super. Forever. Yeah. It's like a death sentence, essentially. But, I mean, which is worse than most because the the pain associated with <laughs> urination. You know, I just remembered our, our original Yeah, when I discussion. told the story about my buddy. <laughs> Yeah, go back and listen to it, folks. Yeah, yeah, that was that was an eye opener for all of us. I think we all had a lot of education there about that one. Uh, this one, uh, as he said, FDA is fast tracking GSK GlaxoSmithKline for those who are unaware of the initials. Uh, experimental gonorrhea vaccine got a fast track designation from the U.S. regulators, putting the shot in position to become the first preventative for a common often undetected infection that's gaining resistance and treatment. So, hold on. Only undetected in women, from what I understand. Now, I'm not a doctor, but, like, if a dude gets gonorrhea, uh, I would imagine they would know. I'm told that this is, and as evidenced by the story that I had of, of my hunting buddy, you know it. and It's not going <laughs> undetected. So, I think right here, <laughs> for me, the entire story is right here. It says GSK's experimental vaccine got fast track designation from. Okay, I think this is a situation I'm weighing out. Super gonorrhea, experimental fast track vaccine. I don't know, man. If you're like in that danger category, you're. <laughs> but that's the thing is, they're like, this is a preventative. 
So it's not like it's still not curing it. So if you have it, you're still completely screwed. This which, is preventative. Which way do we? Which way do you go, Smug? If 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 somebody were to ask you right now, vaccine, gonorrhea, which would you pick? <laughs> <laughs> I would just love. I would love. I would. I'd love the conversation with your primary care provider, where you have to walk in and be like, "I think I'm in the risk category to get." It. <laughs> I'm racking and stacking, doc. I, I need gotta, this. I gotta get this thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, are they going to start? Line me up. What else you got? Are they going to start having like ads for this where they're like, talk to your doctor about this? And you'll be like, listen, I saw the uh, ad doctor for uh, gonorrhea. <laughs> and I'm what, wondering what if it, it might be right for me. What is, what is, <laughs> the doctor's like, Jesus. Let me, bro. Let me, let's take it a step. <laughs> let's take it a step further. Let's say that you were at one of RFK's open town halls and the, the opportunity to ask him a question came to you. And you said, Mr. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. If, should I take a, a vaccine for gonorrhea or should I not take a vaccine? No, you're against vaccines. Should I not take the vaccine for gonorrhea? What do you think he'd say? I, it's a great question. Do you know his family is we not should, exactly? We, I mean, they're, not, they're in a danger zone. We should have from what on. I understand right. from the literature that's been provided. We, we, we should have him on. And ask him that question. Ask, because, like, you know, he, he's, he's polling at like 30%. Would he get this shot, number one? And also, like, I mean, I mean, you saw his bod. That family He's got that shirt off for a reason. Yeah, that family is generally not Maybe a fan of when there's like. A, Did, is that too far? No. Okay. I don't know if if his family's. I, this might come the whole like vaccine thing from his family. Just not a fan of when shots are going around. Mm. They haven't done well with that. He, <laughs> I mean, but Jesus. I saw his. I saw what that. My <laughs> God. The guy just went book depository on a he vaccine a, discussion. He was president My of the United God. That is so disrespectful. He, I mean, he's running for the record of being the first RFK to survive a presidential. Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> this is outrageous. God, it's true. It's What's true. What's gotten into you? It's true. I mean, that's it. I'm saying it takes a lot of courage for him because clearly it hasn't gone well so far. <laughs> I understand the guy doesn't like needles, but I saw him in his workout regimen, and I think he's I think he's putting something in his body. Oh, you think you think he's juicing? He's on trend. There's you, not a 70 year old man that looks like that. You Let's think, be honest. It's think, like Mark McGuire when he start, he started hitting 70 home runs a year. Yeah, I mean, and he's doing like five push ups. Allegedly, allegedly, we don't know. Allegedly, exactly. we're joking. Haha, we're laughing, and it's a parody. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, the fact of the matter is, you be coming to a drugstore near you. Yeah. Uh, super gone. That'd be the good name for it. Get super gone. <laughs> nice and gone. One shot. All right, let's do a game. Let's do a game. And as we know, we have a rotational basis, and so we have new competitors. I was the judge and jury for the very first time in this game, and I enjoyed the experience. I'd love to stay that way. I understand why it is that you tried to run a coup on us. I will respect the constitutional rules that Ruthless has set up, and I will uh, walk away from power. Mm-hmm. And I will become a competitor as we have in our rotation. And I was the bailiff. George Washington of Ruthless. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I was bailiff, so now I'm judging jury. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I lost, so I'm bailiff. So you're now your bailiff. Okay. Um, so our defending. So this is we're we're now back to the OG. Yeah. Configuration. This is OG. Oh yeah. And okay. so smug, you have our defending champion, correct? Steve Schmidt. Steve Schmidt. Who are you bringing to the table? Brainworms. Wow, Jen Rubin back on board. Okay. Well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of 
hill in the red corner fighting out of the washington post the return of our queen jennifer Bahrain worms Ruben. and now in the blue corner fighting from his back porch in utah and current champion of the world the old fat man <laughs> steve schmidt that's that's so brutal that's just so good that's so Excellent. good i think it's my favorite it's just straight i think it's my favorite War now, war forever is also good. That one's great, but this one—that's the old fat man. Well, Ashbrook like gives it a whole nother level. Yeah, he gives it like a the full diaphragm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our defending champion, Smug. You've got Steve Schmidt. You have to go first. Okay, so um, this is Steve Schmidt talking about his favorite topic, Donald Trump. <clears throat> Says, Donald Trump is a menace to the security of this country like no person who has lived since Charles Lindbergh, Robert Lee, and Jefferson Davis. Watch my full reaction to the leaked audio of Trump admitting he was in possession of classified documents. YouTube link. <laughs> so that's his new bit, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm going to say something provocative and then watch for my clout. Watch for, my comments. For clout, yeah. Did you say Charles Lindbergh? Charles Lindbergh, Robert Lee, and Jefferson Davis. Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay um all right i think this one's just a classic just a classic she's responding to the stories the never-ending pay-for-play stories about supreme court justices okay. as we've come to find out from the alito op-ed it's mm -hmm. all left-wing dark money funded stuff if blowback versus S court, S C T mm -hmm. Supreme Court, she can't say SCOTUS. Evidently she's missed the fucking abbreviation yeah. that everybody in the English language uses. S C T yeah. is using is getting oh, uh, let me just start. If blowback versus the Supreme Court is getting us less insane opinions, consider that a win for democracy. Huh. Democracy. For democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Consider it a win for democracy. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that because it's like, it's like, uh, like the ends justify the means sort of thing here. Um, that's great. Smug, can I get one more reread of yours? Absolutely. Donald Trump is a menace to the security of this country like no person who has lived since Charles Lindbergh, Robert Lee, and Jefferson Davis. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Not since the spirit of St. Louis. <laughs> this lady is saying that a pay-to-play operation kicking up dust mm -hmm. on Supreme Court justices is a win right. for democracy. Right, right. right. E extorting the Supreme Court and trying to pressure them into making decisions you like is good for democracy. Yeah. Like That's what our founders yeah. envisioned. Yeah, not the democracy that we yeah. actually set up that right. allowed them to be nominated and confirmed. Yeah. Right. Ugh. This is tough. These are two very divergent takes because mm -hmm. one is is just hot fire on the brain worms, and and one requires a little more something. Gosh, man, this is a real jump ball. 
I mean, I think at the end of the day, I, I, I just, I think at the end of the day, comparing Donald Trump to Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee <laughs> is just, it's too much to overcome. <laughs> and for that reason, Smug wins round one. All right. <laughs> so for round two, I'm actually going to try to fight on, on Jen's own turf. She wait, 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 wait. You're going to go first? Your Honor. Your Honor. Your Honor. Why would, why, wow. Why, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Get do we have a court in order. Do we have an impartial court? Do Your we have it? He was about to volunteer his own thing and we've intervened. Nope, my mistake. Your Honor. It's Round two is for challenge. challenger's term. Okay. Yeah, my mistake. He go right ahead. Seemed like he wanted to take it upon himself. I'm, I'm not going to have counsel be questioning the order of this court. Well, we'll see what happens. What comes around goes around now, doesn't it? <laughs> all right i feel like i got a great one here this is uh seth abramson mm -hmm. uh, just a noted left-wing twitter troll uh who writes a, a tweet retweet if you consider representative adam schiff an american hero tight tight uh, uh. Oh yeah, and she RT'd it. Just a straight, just a straight just RT, a straight RT. Yeah, just this, a just a compliant. This is like this is like 2010 Twitter. A compliant RT. Yeah, no commentary, and I looked north and south to see if she had any more to say. Nope, just following orders, ma'am. <laughs> and that's why an American hero she he is. That's yeah. why I'd say like, what's the point if it's just that's Seth Abramson content? Not no, kids. but I will go ahead and I'm ready to go. Yeah. Is that your? That's that's it. Yeah. So now this is Steve Schmidt talking SCOTUS. He says, what Alito did is get out ahead of the story by going to the Wall Street Journal, which is, of course, owned by News Corp, which owns Fox News, which just had to write a check for nearly a billion dollars for lying. More on the fallout from the incredible ProPublica reporting. Hmm. And the significance of this is there was outrage among the left because Alito decided he wasn't going to let himself be smeared. Right. He saw what was done to Kavanaugh. He sees what they're still trying to do to Justice Thomas. He sees, I mean, the, the, the left-wing mob has besieged literally the homes of every conservative justice now for over a year. And so he said, before I let someone lie about me, I'm going to answer all the questions that they tried bringing up. And, and the left is like, how dare you not let us attack you and besmirch your name? I, I Listen, I get it. It's a pretty straightforward take. I, I don't want us to lose the context. I think I'm going to have to go to the judge's chambers here with the bailiff and, and sidebar this for a second. I don't think bailiff, I don't think we've had a competitor in this game play a straight RT before. Well, groundbreaker. Do you think that actually qualifies in the game? Whoa. Whoa. Uh, whoa. It's a good question. Whoa. It's a good question. Your Honor, I, I do. Okay. Think it. I don't think it's been played before, but I do think it qualifies because it shows the lunacy of the person. Mm. But retweets aren't endorsements. It's okay. a compliant a quote retweet actually, adding their own content. It, it, I'm, it's so, like, I'm sorry. Can we can can we clarify something? Is there a statement in um, our, in the Queen's uh, bio and her Twitter handle that retweets are not in fact endorsements? I I don't know. You want me to go? I, ahead and I'll find check that. that as as an officer of the court. I'm That's just like check. a natural okay. law. Like John Locke knows. <laughs> some, some some people some people tweet some people write that some people don't. Okay, uh, I see. Uh, she her bio uh, the what she presents to the world is about her. The first thing she says is never Trump comma pro democracy <laughs> opinion writer at Washington Post 
MSNBC contributor, quote, but at any rate, I came for ice cream, close quote, and podcast.apple.us.podc. No sign of retweets are not endorsements. Retweet. It says retweet if you consider Adam yeah. Schiff an American hero. And right. again, Adam, it's, everything it's we've learned about gen, Adam Schiff. Zero Jen Rubin content. Yeah, but you know what? Compliance. You knew you knew the judge and jury this week, and you know the way I view uses of the internet. I've used it. And I wanted to check with Bailiff to make sure I could accept this as it is written, and I now that I can, I can say you win round two. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I find it amazing that you just compliantly retweet. <laughs> it really is like it harkens back to an early day of Twitter where people actually said, RT if you agree. Yeah, oh yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and this is this is a very late-breaking hot tweet from Steve Schmidt. Oh wow! It's among my favorite genre of like lunatic, never Trump. Walls are closing in. Uh, genre, Trump, like all of his president uh, predecessors, will finish the story alone and broken. It will all fall down quickly at the end, and make no mistake, it is beginning. And he also attaches a photo of Nazis. <laughs> Wait, so when he's saying his predecessors, he's saying Nazis. Yes. And he attaches a photo of Nazis. <laughs> it's like, also Nazis. <laughs> Holmes, the floor is yours. <laughs> Jennifer Rubin, statement of fact, not RTing anything. I've never seen at VP Kamala Harris mm. so relaxed and speak so confidently, mm. powerfully, oh as she did in North Carolina today. She talked about abortion. <laughs> she did a speech just on abortion, of which they tried to pitch that she was speaking confidently and powerfully cnn dutifully wrote up the basically the same thing saying that she had found her voice so i think like round one these are two very divergent takes what i appreciate appreciate about the kamala thing is it's part of this larger charm offensive that's going on in democrat politics right now you've got emily's list out there doing running ads for kamala harris the fact that she's the least popular Vice President in American history. Yeah. And everybody's it's trying to like campaign. They've work this campaign. Process. And I also miss I miss the days of when Ron Klain was chief of staff and they were parallel all day, right? Like she was dutifully doing the talking points every single day. Yeah. So that's what I really appreciate about this. With the Steve Schmidt thing, it is <sighs> Walls are closed. Yeah, it's it, it's something. I guess my hesitation is it feels like it's it seems like the sort of normal churn of his account of the normal sort of thing that he sort of click farms for engagement for the sort of shock value. And I think with the Jennifer Rubin thing, it the tweet tells us more about so much else that and that's what I like about it more than Steve Schmidt. And for that reason, Jen Rubin, our new queen, queen once again. Well decided. Well decided. Queen once again. And it's the, that's the beauty. You cut to the core of it. The fact that it was a king, the reason I mentioned the CNN piece, 
there was a campaign to, to all write the same thing. Right. And like, there's nobody in the history of the world who would say that she has ever spoken confidently and powerfully. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, there are a few people who are shameless enough to carry that water yeah, at this moment. And that's why I thought it was more impressive than than the Schmidt take. Because yeah. like only Jen would go to the mattresses for you on something so patently absurd. <laughs> well, that was a robbery. I mean, guess you don't need your own content now. All right. Good stuff. A robbery. A robbery. But at least I'm judged next time so I can actually bring some justice to this. <laughs> Love it. Smart, I love you're, it. You're bailiff next time. I'll still bring Justin. Can I? When do I get to be and, bailiff? This is on outrageous. I've never been bailiff. Well, Jen, try losing. Jen loses next time. Then the following week, you're bailiff. Did we start? Did we start? Okay, so I go to bailiff. Yeah. Once lose, you lose, lose yeah. bailiff. So Smug bailiff is bailiff, judge. not judge. Next time. Yes, mm -hmm. Smug is bailiff. Okay. But I operate as a judge. But I'm confident. <laughs> I'm confident. You have actually, and your bailiff duty. Yeah, I'm confident that, that and this, I will. this bailiff, this bailiff <laughs> will. You're not going to like it. Uh, all right, let's go to this interview, Neil Chatterjee. I want to welcome to the program an old friend, someone we've known for a lot of years. You've known him for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, we've known each other for like 20 years. We worked together on the House side. Yes, sir. He's a distinguished former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That's a lot of words. The FERC. What the FERC? Yeah, what the FERC. Yeah. Uh, so he knows a lot about a lot of stuff. Neil Chatterjee, welcome to the program. Longtime friend and fan. Thank you for having me. You got it, buddy. Uh, listen, I know we've been trying to do this for a while. We have a lot of interest in your area of expertise because it seems like this administration can find just about any way to fuck up a two-car parade when it comes to energy. Uh, I want to start with some substance and then I want to go from there. But the first thing I got to talk about is you've brought us bourbon. I have, I have. Well, I noticed uh, last week you had uh, uh, the judge on. Yeah. Also for a proud Kentuckian, and he brought you, you know, a new product from from Boone County. Yeah. I I'm not going to judge it until I try it. Uh, you haven't tried it, and you're already talking smack. About well, it? I mean, come on. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> you and I had the great pleasure of recently dipping bottles of uh, Maker's Mark. Yes. You know, uh, a distinguished Jim Beam product. And my dear friend, Brent Elliott, who I've been friends with since college, is the master distiller at Four Roses. Ah. And, I mean, these are established companies that have been at this for some time. And so I'm not saying that oh, the so newbies... He is, he is throwing shade. <laughs> I'm not saying the newbies in Boone County don't make a fine product. I love... I spent... You love all years of your in Northern Kentucky. I love all of my bourbons, but this Four Roses single barrel in particular that my friend Brett Elliott produces is my favorite, and it's so good. You know, you got a lot of folks up here in D.C. who like to put themselves out as bourbon aficionados. Yeah, you notice that. I have picked up on that. Yeah, and uh, and so I actually have uh, an empty bottle of twenty three year Pappy that I routinely refill with Four Roses Wait, single serious? barrel. <laughs> really? And I serve to these an purported these purported bourbon aficionados. They have no idea what they're drinking <laughs> Four Roses single barrel. They all just sit there and smell and look at the lines. And Plus they really, think, what a generous what man. What a generous man. <laughs> what a he generous always man. pours his 23-year pappy every Where time. Where does this up. guy have the resources? <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah. can't, all right. Well, let me it's do. pretty good stuff. This is... Uh, 23-year pappy. <laughs> it is actually very good. It is very good. So that your deal now? You're a Four Roses guy? 
So, I mean, you'll very drink loyal. Bath water. You'll drink bath water. water. Yeah. Yes. I love Jim Beam products, Knob yeah. Creek, all of them. But uh, uh, I have to give a particular shout out to uh, to the folks at Four Roses. I love it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a nice way to start. Thank you for the offering. Of course. Of course. Uh, so let's start up with some stuff. I'm concerned about a whole range of energy issues as it relates to this administration because I think they're entirely ideological in their approach, not practical in their approach. I think the consumer and the American citizen is sort of last in line in terms of the concerns that they have. It's like the extreme environmental left first, and then it runs through a list of constituencies in like solar and wind and whatever, whoever is the, uh, you know, the major constituency of the Democratic Party, as we saw over the years. And then it, at the very end, if it gets to us, Okay, you can have your lights turned on. What's your biggest fear of what's going on domestically first uh, with energy in this country? So in the role I served at the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, I felt it was my foremost obligation to uh, oversee the reliability of the grid. What does that mean? It seems like an innocuous term. It's really important. It's to make sure that when Americans hit the switch, the lights come on. That seems pretty important. Pretty important. When, like, there's, when there's triple digit heat in Texas today, that the AC can come on. Right. And so... Which has been a bit of a trick. Over it has years. been a bit of a trick. And there's a lot that goes into that simple process of hitting the switch and the lights coming on that Americans take for granted. And what has happened over the years is that as politics has infected something that used to be a matter of engineering... You now have elected officials making decisions that the professionals used to make. Interesting. And so what they're doing is they're shutting off their disfavored forms of generation in, for, in favor of their preferential forms of generation. And sometimes those backups aren't ready to go. You're kidding. When it's time for the coach to need them. And that's what's happened the last couple of years. In California, you saw their grid got pushed to the brink by extreme heat and wildfires. They had made political decisions to retire a number of gas plants, and they didn't have the balancing resources ready to go. And so when they needed the energy, they didn't have it. The end result was rolling blackouts and brownouts or curtailments. And they made it seem like, ah, electricity curtailment, it's no big deal. What does that mean? What's a curtailment? Pre-cool your house to 78 degrees, but no cooler. Mm. Oh. That may sound eminently reasonable. No, it's not. Not when it's 98 degrees no, it's just outside. Not, it's not ever reasonable. It's the United States of America. We yeah. should not be in a position that we're making these kinds of trade-offs. And that is 100% the result of politicians interfering with a process that used to be left to engineers. So but you were you were saying that this this is something that could even happen this summer, like in Texas and California again, right? I mean, is that is that a real threat? Absolutely, Texas, California, the Midwest went through this last year. Um, in California, the last couple of summers, the only thing that has kept that grid from just catastrophic failure is luck. And luck's not an energy policy, and they're going to continually be in this position. The one thing that the governor had to reverse course on was he was prepared to shut down the state's last nuclear power plant. This is governor of California. This is the governor of California. Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. This guy's got it all put together. He was going to shut down the state's last nuclear plant in the face of opposition to nuclear, our 
FYI, a single greatest source of carbon-free generation. Right. But mm. Californians are against it. Uh, and he had to reverse course because he realized if he took all of that power from that nuclear plant off of the grid, there was no way he would have enough replacement capacity and California would have been in a dire situation. They're still in a dire situation this summer uh, because of a series of other decisions that they have been making and it's spreading across the country and uh, you so, saw it. so they take they take perfectly good nuclear natural gas producing plants off the grid because they're politically disfavored in the Democratic Party essentially that's right wow uh, I mean I just can't there's hardly anything I can think of that is more politically palpable than the idea of if i got a letter in the mail saying that my house had to be 78 degrees tomorrow i mean sign me up for the riot <laughs> sign me up Wait, it's completely irresponsible i mean it's it's completely irresponsible it's not it's not just summers in texas and california in the midwest but it's winters in the northeast they're having these problems up there too right yeah it's even worse in the northeast in those cold winters uh we have all of this natural gas in pennsylvania that could easily be piped into the Northeast to give them that reliable, affordable, inexpensive supply of energy for their electricity and to heat their homes via natural gas through those really cold winters. Get this, there were two successive winters during my tenure at FERC when we had Russian tankers mm. pulling into Boston Harbor to deliver gas because we can't get a pipeline built through New York State. Get Think about that, New York is blocking the Northeast from getting access to all of this domestically produced from gas Pennsylvania. in Pennsylvania. And instead, we've got Russian LNG coming into Boston Harbor to, to keep the heat on in a deeply cold winter. I don't think they, people know that. You know, it's not widely known. I've tried. Trust me. It wasn't but, on the uh, front page of the New York Times. Well, you don't think they wrote about that? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing it on broadcast news either. Oh, jeez. I mean, how did they miss that? It seems like kind of a big development, Russian ships sitting out in New York Harbor. I, I think they had an anonymous whistleblower that said... <laughs> Whistle, <laughs> quote-unquote. Quote-unquote. <laughs> quote-unquote. And it was an Axios. And, uh, yeah, and that was said, it. Yeah, that was it. What no, no I'm, I'm joking. Of course it wasn't an Axios. That was a favor. That was a story that didn't favor the Biden administration. <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't cover that. I mean, I, I literally can't even imagine a situation where people make decisions against domestic resources of energy to the disadvantage of their own citizens on purpose. I mean, it, it has become, environmentalism has become a religion on the left where you just have to believe. It's not, it's not about actually trying to do something. You just have to believe something and it'll become true. It's just, it's, 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 it's incredible. Because you're one of the more reasonable people that I've talked to about in all of the above. You know, you're not like a, just oil and gas guy or just a coal guy or just you, you've always been sort of in the all of the above and try to reduce carbon emissions where you can and all of that kind of thing uh and a pretty reasonable approach and you, you, yet you got to just run up against a brick wall with some of these people uh, it's so frustrating but in some ways it's been gratifying to me because um some of these folks have given away the game in in recent months and years um there's a technology called carbon capture and sequestration. Yeah. Uh, when I was an aide in the Senate, Senator McConnell, he led the charge on this tax credit, 45Q, to really incentivize this technology. And now we're at a point where it could actually work 
to reduce carbon emissions from gas plants, from liquefied natural gas export facilities and the like. And suddenly, folks on the radical left are mobilizing against this technology because they're recognizing if it actually works, we'll have gas forever. We'll have coal forever because we'll be able to capture the emissions. If they're, if they're to true... No, to to no, no problem with the environment... That's well, not like actually not the issue. If the if the issue was really climate change, why wouldn't they want this They'd technology want to succeed? They should want it. You'd also because want nuclear. And you'd also want nuclear because it's not about climate change. It's about social engineering. It's about destroying fossil fuels. And that's the frustration. So a guy like me who's out there saying, hey, we can have wind, we can have solar, we should focus on reducing carbon emissions, but let's not sacrifice energy security and reliability and affordability to get it. I get, I mean, it just makes me insane when folks oppose things that they claim they're for because, it, again, it gives away that their true agenda is not actually about reducing carbon emissions. If it was, they would absolutely embrace these. And technologies. ultimately, the, the thing that boils my blood the most is the idea that somehow there's a disconnection between energy security and national security and that, that you can have a country that is reliant upon China, Russia, the Middle East, all because we want to shut our own resources down. I mean, the war in Ukraine is essentially an energy-driven war. Europe writ large, but Germany in particular, made a series of energy policy decisions that made them uniquely vulnerable Mm. to Russia. After the Fukushima disaster in Japan, Germany moved away from nuclear power. In order to meet their carbon goals, they moved away from coal, and they found themselves, therefore, totally dependent on Russian gas. And I think Putin recognized that while he gets his oil, uh, his economic strength from oil sales, he gets his political dominance, his political strength, because he controls the gas taps. Mm. And I think he was banking on the fact that Europe at large, and Germany in particular, would be so dependent on that cheap Russian gas that ultimately over the course of time, their support for Ukraine would wane because they would desperately need, they need it. that mm. gas. Mm. And I don't ever want to find ourselves in that situation here, but more so what would, again, was really frustrating to me back when I was at FERC, then Secretary Rick Perry, who was uh, the energy secretary, he and I got made fun of because he made this very folksy term. He referred to US LNG as freedom gas. And I supported him on it, and people mocked us for it. And what was so frustrating to me then, and even more so today, if you look at U.S. LNG exports, not only does it create jobs here at home, not only is it so valuable geopolitically to give our allies an alternative to Russian gas, clean U.S. LNG, because we do it cleaner and better than anywhere else in the world, displacing dirtier Russian gas actually lowers carbon emissions. Mm It is a win-win-win for America, and it took Russia invading Ukraine for the administration to wake up and realize that. Because prior to that moment, they had been moving away from gas, <laughs> away from gas exports. And I mean, to your point that you made earlier, it's, it's, it's not about climate change. It's not about the environment. It's about power. And I often wonder what who are they trying to empower? What what is it that they're that you know, who actually gets the power when we lose? And you start reading these stories about how much technology is in China and how much we're reliant on China for 
batteries for electric vehicles and for their resources that we just don't have in this country. And you start to wonder, like, why in the world would Democrat, why would our government push for policies that would empower China over America? I mean, and that's the direction we're headed. Let's be clear. If we continue down this trajectory of shutting down traditional forms of power that are supplied by domestic resources, today, the entire supply chain and mineral chain for the clean energy transition lies in adversarial countries. And one thing that Germany realized, and Japan as well, when they moved away from nuclear power, is when you shut these plants down, you can't like just reopen them a couple of day, couple of years later when you realize you need them. They get chopped up, their component parts get sold off, they're gone. And so if we shutter our traditional fleet of plants and suddenly are dependent on the Chinese Communist Party for the components for clean energy technologies or the critical minerals that undergird them, then we're going to find ourselves in the exact same situation that Germany is in. Um, but to the same point I made earlier about I think it's a huge mistake to politicize electric vehicles because you want Republicans to want to buy electric vehicles. Uh, I think one of the individuals that I hold most responsible for the politicization of energy in this country is Tom Steyer, who ironically was a guy who used to be invested in coal. He was the one that really injected politics into clean energy and sort of created this paradigm where if you're for clean energy, you're of the political left, and if you're for fossil fuels, you're of the political right. And again, I, I think that was a huge mistake because you ended up taking issues that could have garnered bipartisan support. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in our day, Lamar Alexander was a big fan of of electric vehicles, right? Yeah. I mean, that was part of the energy Find plan. more, use less was yeah. his brilliant, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, kind of slogan. Mm -hmm. Right. You had a lot of Republicans, you know, Cory Gardner, who we all loved of Colorado, you know, it's a lot of wind and solar in Colorado. There's a lot of wind in the Dakotas, you know, um, mm -hmm. in Wyoming. I mean, there's huge potential opportunity for renewable energy in these states, but it's become so political that folks are now resistant to that. And I think that's because a lot of these environmental groups, clean energy groups, they intentionally politicize these issues. The example for me that I just, uh, I had it, a good friend of mine, Carlos Curbelo, Republican congressman from Florida, he was the leading champion in the House uh, uh, as a Republican for doing something about climate change. He had an opponent in a tough re-election year. All the environmental groups backed his Democratic opponent yeah, it's just partisan. because of his position on health care, on Obamacare. Yeah. If you actually care about doing something about environmental policy in this country, to not support the mm. leading environmental Republican because of his position on health care. Wild. It's, it, I mean, that's just we've seen everything with the left. It's, it's, not, it's not, you can say you're interested in energy, but if something on abortion comes along, you're in. You know, I mean, they're 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 partisan, is what they are. They're they have they're not outcome driven. There's a bunch of things that you just suggested that they opposed that would have been outcome driven in terms of what they say they're for, and they don't, which is amazing to me. But the the underlying thing, whether it's what you're talking about with the grid or whether it's shutting down certain kinds of unpreferred uh, uh, methods of power. Or electric vehicles, we now see the EPA with a new mandate potentially next year saying like 70% of all new cars need to be electric. There's no way to get there without outsourcing every component to China because, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. So why is it that every single one of these things that we've talked about 
means that America has to be relying on somebody else in the world, and in most cases, an adversary. I mean, it goes Does beyond... Does that even cross their mind uh, when you're talking to them? No, because they just, they want to be able to wave the flag and say they have an outcome. All of these policies today designed to stimulate the deployment of electric vehicles, they're all geared around the sale of electric vehicles, but not the actual use of yeah. electric vehicles. Like, sure, you get a big tax incentive. You may, therefore, be able to better afford an electric vehicle. But let's say you want to take a long-distance trip in Kentucky, where I'm from. Where are you going to recharge? How are you going to overcome your range anxiety? What if you don't live in a home with a garage where you can plug in, or you don't work in an office that has vehicle charging available? What if there aren't fast chargers in your community? Where the heck are you going to plug these things in? We don't have the infrastructure in place today to move to that EV economy. There's no coordination with utilities to see if they can even withstand the surge in demand that would occur if all of a sudden by 2030 we had 100% EVs. It's just not realistic, but it's because they want to get the bumper sticker out there and appeal to their base and the Democratic Party can say, look, we're doing something to electrify America and and, and shut down and these dirty cars. how do they think they get the electricity? Well, they, the yeah, they're missing the fact that in, in most of the country today, you know, renewables are like 10% of the generation mix. <laughs> like, just, what do they think is powering these cars? It's incredible, man. Listen, I could learn a lot from you about all of these issues. You are one of the best voices and reasons talking us through it uh how are your cats looking i'm hearing a lot of bad things bud look i'm hearing a lot of bad things it's it's what are you reading axios yeah, it's not, <laughs> I just, you know i it's, mean like they're, they're saying, gonna be just they're saying there's big problems with calipari and the ad and they're saying you know I, I don't know look what do i believe what do you believe expectations are so high in kentucky year over year that it's hard to meet those expectations and the reality is cal's had a couple of tough runs he had an undefeated team that got tripped up in the final couple of minutes he had devin booker on the bench inexplicably and they lost to wisconsin in the final four they got beat buzzer beater in 2017 to go to the final four overtime in 2019 to go to the final four i think he had the best team in the country in 2020 and covid struck and look, he's had a hard time since the pandemic because he relies on new players every year. And everybody else is getting And everybody years, else is getting seniors. fifth years yeah. in, and in the portal. Uh, he's got an incredible class coming in. And I think the pieces are there. They'll start off slow again because anytime you're rolling out Because you go down there and cross them all up. When you every every fall, don't so you? I you in the summers, in the summers when they're when they're not fully acclimated yet, yeah. Uh, uh, Cal does this amazing father son camp, <laughs> and uh, I keep telling him, Cal, I'm not eligible to be recruited. Well, I mean, uh, it's not, yeah, it's no, not but I mean, he says he hasn't man. seen a round mound of rebounds since Barkley, <laughs> like me. I mean, I can now, mind you, I'm playing at my kids' grade level, and uh, it's been a few years since bidding. I don't even think I could take nobody my kids boxes anymore. out. Nobody like boxes out. <laughs> nobody. Um, I think they'll be just fine. I think actually they'll be better than just fine. Uh, I think they're going to be very good this year, and this is the year they silence the doubters. Oh, they say that's a very optimistic take. I like it. Realistic. What are you doing to get yourself in trouble? I know there's got to be a lot of things. I saw you down at the Derby. Yeah, yeah, I won no money. Yeah, I, uh, I know, and usually that, you have a whole wad. <laughs> that didn't help. No, uh, listen, I, I've been pretty busy lately. Uh, my kids are thriving. So my eldest son is like a track star, theater star. My middle son is uh, is getting ready to play high school football. My daughter's playing soccer. So, I And they're they, not 
inexplicably ashamed of their father. Well, they're getting to that okay. point. Okay. Uh, they're getting to that point. I see them take pictures with you, though. They're they stopped a little bit. Now, you'll appreciate this. So my eldest son, uh, when he first stopped calling me daddy in public and started calling me dad, I was gutted. Um, <laughs> gutted. I mean, it hurt so bad. My middle son very quickly thereafter followed his brother and started calling me dad. My 11-year-old daughter skipped it completely. She calls me Neil. <laughs> no. And so, yeah, I'll be at school. She's like, Neil, are you picking me up for soccer later? She's oh, 11. You can't right. have it. I'm, I'm, no, I'm toast. I'm you can't have it. So that's good. the trouble. That's the trouble I get. Well, you got a real problem if, if in a few years she brings somebody home and they call you Neil. That's, that's, that's well, when you need to put him down. <laughs> that's when I'm going to break out the uh, coal-fired pizza oven. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we, Before we, we get to these three questions, yeah. can I ask him one? Yo, I've got her. one yeah, very, sure. very important right. question that I've I've actually been wondering about for quite some time. You know, Neil, we've become something of an animal fighting podcast. Yeah. And you were talking about renewable resources. The fellas think one of the most uh, un undertapped renewable resources on this planet is whale oil. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there are a, there's just all these pods of you've killer been, whales. You've been following the whale. I have. Yeah. I have. All Incursion. These, all these pods of killer whales that are taking. Wait, I thought they were called boats. orcas. Yeah, well, that's that's, no, what, that's they, what they that's, want. That's what their press secretary <laughs> wants you to call. Them. Yeah. But they, we know they have teeth. They kill people. They kill things. Well, no, no documented uh, human murders. They've sunk boats all over the place. Yeah, they're bad. So, so our question for you is: thinking of all the animals out there, what is the biggest that you could take mano a mano? Mano a mano. I have always thought this, and and this may not seem that impressive mm -hmm. but 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 hear me out on my logic here i have successfully taken out a bee <laughs> and pound for pound pound for pound a bee is the most intimidating creature on the planet pound for pound i have seen entire classrooms completely evacuated because of a single bee so pound for pound i think they're the deadliest creature on the planet and i have successfully killed many bees what a great answer I, I think you can get that done. I mean, I mean, Christy said he'd take out a timber wolf, and I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But I think you could get that one done. I, I can. I can. Oh, that's well done. Could we? Could we feel like I don't know Maine winter with whales? Yeah, no. <laughs> Is it worth trying? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> not if we care about reliability and affordability. Let's okay. not be like the Democrats, Josh. Yeah. Well, all you need to do is plug the hole. That, that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. it. No, that's it's a simple solution. You just plug the hole. We learned that from Costanza. Though. Yeah, right. Pull that golf ball right out, and then there it is. Um, all right. You want your three questions? Let's do it. Last meal on earth. So I would have said a New York pizza, but I don't want anyone getting arrested feeding me. <laughs> and uh, oh my God! And and you did have the judge on from Northern Kentucky last week, and he and he and he stole a lot of my Kentucky and Cincinnati area favorites. And so I'm I'm all about original content here on the program. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. You're uh, thoughtful of not only us but our listeners. Yes. So you and I, uh, Josh, have uh, uh, on occasion frequented a place uh, in D.C. called the 116 Club. First rule of the 116 club is you don't speak about the 116 club so i'm in the process so of getting this, kicked out so doing this right on the now. air means you're definitely uh, out but they make a dish there their signature dish is a crab and crab oh it's good and if i'm going out i'm going out on a 116 crab and crab it is very good it's you've never seen a more exclusive place that looks dumpier <laughs> than the 116 i think the one article that was ever written about it described the decor as 70s attic <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Somebody's attic is very good. And, and I would just say an attic that you've ignored since the seven. Right. Yeah. No. That uh, look. I got it. I, you, what are you going to do for a drink there? Uh, what what do you like? You know, you can add. Oh, at one sixteen club. Yeah. Well, you're going to do. I don't even know if you can get a drink. I mean, I know they've got like bottles. There's, that a, lot dust. There's and, a lot of dust. There's a lot of dust. I never wanted to do that. <laughs> but like in your last meal. Uh, you gotta go bourbon. Yeah. yeah. Especially with the crab and crab. Yeah. I think, you know, I love a good, you know, a good Camus, a good red wine, but not with a crab. You can have all of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to die, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So you I could do whatever. Okay. Is there a dessert option? Not a big dessert guy. I, so the judge stole it, man. That Grater's ice cream from Cincinnati. Yeah. Ashbrook knows it. Uh, it's got my heart. Well, you can't, dessert. you can't, can't cut such a slim figure like yours with being a big dessert <laughs> guy. So I get it. Uh, I've had a few. I, 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 Graders is good. Graders yeah. is good. All right. So second, if you never get into this line of work at all, no public service, no politics, blue sky, you can do anything with it. What would you do? So I've always thought my two loves in life were sports and politics. Obviously I went into work in politics and my athletic career stalled out uh, in the eighth grade when I stopped growing. I did not, <laughs> I did not have the same genetic good fortune as Smug, who is the Yao Ming of Indians. I've never seen it. I've never seen an Indian that big. It's, it's really uh, remarkable, isn't it? So noting that athletics uh, would be off the table for me, I honestly think, so when you're, when, when, when you're born like this uh, and, you're, and you're funny looking to begin with, the only way to survive it is to be funny. Yeah. And so I, I, as I look back, and, and I still may pursue it at some point, uh, I'd love to try stand-up. I'm, yeah. I'm actually uh, uh, going to take some lessons, learn how to write jokes. Um, uh, I'd love to. I, I still haven't given up the dream of potentially pursuing stand-up someday. Listen, if you can perfect that, you can have like a regular reoccurring bit here. Oh, on well. Right. I'll Come try. on in I'll and try. just bust people's balls. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, you're a funny man. That's a good fit. Uh all right, third question. You know what it is. Thrill of victory, agony, defeat. I'm all agony, defeat. Yeah, you know? that's a, that's All agony, clear. defeat. Yeah. I, I think for me, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. Again, when you look like this, to rise to the points in life that I have, uh, that's taken a inexplicable string of wins <laughs> to get there. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, one of the things I learned from a, a, a gentleman that we all uh, work closely with, uh, Leader McConnell, is... Uh, you win and you move on to the next one right away. Like yeah. there's no attaboys, there's no time for celebrations. It's okay, good job. Let's what's next. Yeah, it's and true. Uh, and so I've always been driven by that. It's that agony of defeat. It it eats at you. And uh, look, I felt it a little bit. Like I I was very proud of my record at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, but elections have consequences. And yeah. one of the painful things for me to have watched the past couple of years is hard fought victories got reversed mm -hmm. and uh and that agony of defeat is what wants to drive me to win again and amend it i love that that's great stuff neil where can people follow along with your work uh you know i'm pretty active on twitter at ferk chatterjee f-e-r-c-h-a-t-t-e-r-j-e-e -E -E. um uh, i've been uh, fortunate enough uh ashley's here today uh she gets me booked on a lot of tv and so yeah you're on uh, the tube quite a bit I'm on the tube quite a bit you're I defying got, all uh, odds on television it's unbelievable yeah, i got she must be just absolutely terrific. <laughs> she's that good she must be that i good. got a uh, like here's a guy this is what i got for you and they're like uh 
Okay. Well, my kids have pointed out to me that oftentimes I'm talking, but they don't have my face on screen. They're going to other <laughs> visuals. <laughs> Wolf, <laughs> Wolf, can you keep that in mind when we put this out? Uh, I mean, we're a video medium now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, this know. is fantastic. I look great in the camera. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what. This stuff must be expensive. You guys are doing really well. doesn't pay well. for itself. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't pay for itself. Listen, buddy, I want you to stick around anytime you want to come in and talk about something that you think is out there and outrageous we'd love to talk to you about it you're one of a kind we appreciate your friendship thanks for coming in thank you so much for having me so like neil's a world-class individual uh we talked serious stuff for a little bit we got you know got into some fun i don't feel like it paints a full picture of this guy as a character if you've seen this guy after 10 o'clock p.m what a time you will have he's a great guy what a, a time guy. you will have he's the kind of guy that like you want to be the last guy at your party excellent you know yeah. what i mean yeah those, those are the folks you want around yeah, yeah they really are and we did enforce the one indian rule this <laughs> this time so i appreciate your uh, uh adherence but you know i think i think we did it i think we That's did a, it. it's a wrap on that outstanding show gentlemen and thank you so much to our guests absolute blast and thank you so much to our listeners especially those of you who have subscribed to our YouTube and those who are watching us on YouTube. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.